Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, Chris Jonu, buddy from Melbourne, back at it again. If you can figure out how to spell my last name, look me up, follow all my, my profiles so I can be an influencer. And we have um, global fintech juggernauts, Stripe. Yeah, that's all we need to say. We sell tickets. Stripe. Um, John Collison, president and co-founder of Stripe, being interviewed by Ashley Vance, reporter for Bloomberg. And I have to start with the fact that we love Stripe. Um, both John and Patrick have spoken at a number of startup growing events around the world. And uh, we thank you for that. And... Uh, and, you know, I make it a personal priority to sit, make sure I sit in the audience anytime they're speaking as well because it's just so super sharp and articulate and I always learn a lot and I'm sure you will today. Um, yeah, the mind boggles. Just imagine that they must have just geeking out as kids at the dinner table and mum and dad say, read another book, John. You're done with calculus. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Whatever it was, it didn't happen at my house. And uh, anyway, they go through all the the early days and all the struggles that come with you know trying to reshape global finance, it's archaic systems, um, and then just leading leading the market and um, and the future for Stripe. Hope you learn a lot. Enjoy. Hello. Good morning. I'm Ashley. This is John. <laughs> um, just by way of hands, just so I have an idea, how many people know what Stripe? actually does. All right. This is right crowd. Well, you asked how many know. How many don't know? <laughs> oh, still a few. Okay. Some so work the marketing department. Yeah. I mean, just to kick it off a little bit, why don't you, you know, I met you about six years ago, six or seven years ago. You guys were just starting out. You were um, just like a handful of people in this, this San Francisco office, and, and you've grown a lot since then. Why don't you just explain a little bit what Stripe is and maybe kind of what the original vision was and now sort of what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, the, the vision actually has remained pretty consistent um, for Stripe over time. For, for a long time, the way we've thought about the opportunity um, has been uh, growing the internet economy, increasing the GDP of the internet. And, and you know, I think one of the things that happens is, I'm sure when we first met, uh, and you have these uh, you know, Irish hooligans talking about the, you know, these grand notions of uh, growing the internet economy, you're, you're like... You're not exactly what I think of as an Irish hooligan. <laughs> and, 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 anyway, um, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the company's at a much earlier stage. Uh, whereas over time, we've gotten to actually meaningfully work on that in a whole bunch of different areas. And so the core thing that the Stripe product does is uh, help businesses start and grow, accept payments online. Uh, but over time now, you know, since as we've known each other, Stripe has now expanded into a whole bunch of different uh, countries. We actually just announced our uh, uh, private betas getting up and running in Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania and Malaysia and a handful of new countries. Uh, and we've even kind of branched out into a few other lines of business as well. But uh, that's the core of what we've been doing. Was, that's what we were doing when we started out, and it's, it's still what we're doing today. And you feel like 
that original mission, you've been able to stay mostly chasing what you expected to chase. Yeah, because we're, we're, we're lucky. We, um, we picked something that there's a, there's a big opportunity, uh, and I think there's a lot left to run on it. I, I think in general we have... Um, it, it, it's, it's quite surprising to me how poor the economic infrastructure available to us on the internet is, in that if you think about it, we have this amazing global information network with you know, three billion people hooked up to it and exchanging information all around the world. And then when it comes to anything involving money, it's like you're you know, going back 40 years. You're dealing with, uh, it's slow to move things around, and you have all these different networks that aren't interoperable, and that you know, in the West we're used to credit cards, but in China you have Alipay and WeChat, and you have UPI in India, and you have different systems in all these different countries that don't work together well. Uh, and again, we're sort of accepting of the fact that it takes, you know, cost $30 to send money to a faraway place and it'll take many days to land or might be rejected. I, I think our standards are too low for the, in for the economic infrastructure available to, to people and to businesses, and that's what we're working on fixing. I think you and I were emailing. I'd just been to Shenzhen uh, a few months ago, and I mean, I've been to China a few times, but not, it, it had been a little while, and it was crazy because you you, I could not use my credit card anywhere except for my hotel. They would begrudgingly take cash, which was hard to get out of an ATM with a, with a sort of Western ATM card. And, um, but then the payments were so easy. You know, we were shooting a TV show and I was with this local fixer and everywhere he went, he's just doing his QR codes. Um, I mean, you know, what do you make of, of the transformation, transformation in the payment system there and, and, you know, like how far ahead are they than, than the rest of the world? Yeah, I and mean, that's the biggest thing is I think people tended to think, especially when we started out on Stripe, people tended to think that the move online had already happened and everything had been, uh, uh, everything had been figured out. Whereas in fact, uh, still in a bunch of countries, you're getting a very rapid rise in digital money. Uh, the, uh, the, the dominant behaviors and methods are changing. You know, Alipay and, and uh, WeChat sort of came out of nowhere as, as payment players, relatively speaking, uh, to, to I mean, end up um, winning the market, as it were, in, in China in particular. But, but again, more broadly, this was something where, I mean, literally when we started out, I remember when we were pitching investors in 2010, and they're like, I mean, isn't PayPal already fine? And, you know, it just isn't this market already all figured out? Whereas, in fact, you know, sub 5% of global consumer spending takes place online today. You know, we think that has an order of magnitude uh, left to grow, and we'd like to help it get there as quickly as possible. Do you, are we going to do QR codes in the U.S.? I know we do on scooters and things like that, but is this, or I feel like we've already been there, done that here. <laughs> yeah, well, th this gets to a very interesting phenomenon, which is, uh, you know, you tend to get multiple hype waves of technologies uh, before they actually catch on. And so, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but say, you know, cryptocurrencies, there was a hype wave around cryptocurrencies in the 1990s, uh, like a guy called Nick Sabo, uh, you know, published, uh, uh, you know, talking about uh, Bitgold in 1998, uh, and you had various other uh, kind of interests in it. But, but it's then only in kind of 2010, 2011 that, that, that Bitcoin took off in a big way. Similarly, I think, you know, QR codes uh, were the kind of thing that people were always waiting to happen and then didn't. But now in iOS 12, there's, you know, native support for uh, QR codes in the, uh, in the operating system. And so maybe you'll see behaviors change. I don't know about payments in particular, maybe. Um, but certainly we're seeing with other things, uh, like you say, uh, scooters. So you guys just raised, <coughs> excuse me, uh, $350 million about, and that brought your valuation to $23 billion now, uh, which is crazy. Um, and 
why, you know, why do you, you by all marks, you guys have done really well. Um, why take this money? I mean, did you have to take this money? Why, are, why would somebody in you guys' position um, still give away more of your company at this point? Um, just, uh, for, for, for any investors who are watching, it's not crazy. Just want to, uh, <laughs> just, 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 just want to clarify that. Um, but uh, the, the, the round is actually a little smaller than you were saying. Um, but uh, broadly speaking, uh, <coughs> Stripe is not done. You know, we're, we're not at the terminal stages of the business or anything like that. Um, and I, um, you know, in, in our case, we're not, uh, you know, we, we, we have no plans to go public. Uh, we still are heavily investing in growing the business. And if you kind of look at the stage that Stripe is at today in terms of uh, uh, how quickly headcount is growing and the, you know, the amount we're investing in international expansion, it still feels like a startup in a whole bunch of regards. There's still new, brand new products being created uh, all the time. Like just last year, we launched two brand new products, Stripe terminal, which is for people accepting in-person payments, uh, and Stripe issuing, uh, which is a way for people to actually kind of, it's the reverse side of Stripe, for people to spend money uh, in, the, uh, in the broader world. And so kind of the short answer is that there's still a ton left to do, and we're quite early in the, the trajectory of what we hope will be pretty meaningfully changing how the, how the online economy works. Uh, Mike Cannon Brooks, who runs Atlassian, mm -hmm. you know, I've talked to him in the past, and, and they were largely self-funded, mm -hmm. tried not to take venture capital. I think we're profitable from year one. Um, you know, and he, he argues that there's kind of like this cult of, of venture capital, especially in Silicon Valley, and, and it's like this, you know, I raised so much money and this, this point of pride when really it's, it's sort of could be a, a weakness that, that you have to do this and, and it puts all this extra pressure on you. I mean, so, like what's your take on, I guess, maybe the funding environment right now and the, the, this culture? Yeah, you know, I have to admit, I've never understood the culture war that exists over VC funding. Like, it's the most fascinating thing for, for people to argue about, where, uh, as you say, there are some people who are, I mean, I, I don't think there's a particularly loud pro-VC camp, there's like a, a quite loud anti-VC camp, but it feels like the reality of the matter is all businesses tend to require some amount of initial capital before they get to um, reliable profitability. And you know, that can come from you know, personal credit cards on the smaller end and just people investing their own money. That can come from you know, friends and family rounds. It's tra traditional. I mean, you know, people uh, outside of Silicon Valley starting uh, businesses, that tends to be uh, where it comes from. And then you know, VC, and even now, I think in 2019, there's you know, much larger pools of private capital available than there were. And you know, the answer to what's right for a business, it depends. I mean, it depends on whether, uh, you know, the dynamics of the business. There's a, there's a super awesome company, uh, Boom, you've probably come across them, yeah. developing a supersonic airliner. Um, I mean, great company, will probably require a bunch of capital, you know, before they actually get to uh, shipping and certifying nope. a supersonic airliner. It would be hard to fund that without... It, it, uh, it, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, <laughs> hard one to bootstrap. Um, and then there's other businesses that are more amenable to bootstrapping, but it's, you know, people are trying to come up with absolute answers as to, you know, whether VC is right for you or whether VC is a good thing, when it completely depends on the business and what, honestly, what the, what the founder wants to do with it. Yeah. Like in this moment in time, money is relatively easy to come by, easier than maybe it ever has been. You know, is, like is this a good thing for, are we, 
for the environment? Um, it tends to. I know it's good probably for the people trying to run startups out here, but. <laughs> well, yeah, I think there is a, um, I think it's a reflection of two things. Uh, one is that uh, just that there are um, companies are staying private longer, and so there are more options for uh, you know companies that want to do ambitious things as private companies. Obviously, you've written a, a whole bunch about um, Elon and his endeavors, and you know SpaceX is a good example of a company that I think pr previously, 10 or 20 years ago, would have been public by now, uh, but is but is not uh, in this day and age. And then the second thing is I think a reality of the fact that. Um, people have this market available to them uh, of 3 billion internet users that is so enormous. And you, know, you have to ask yourself the question of, are all the interesting opportunities tapped out? Like, you know, have the, uh, exist all the products that need to be built been built, or you know, will they be built by the big Googles and Facebooks and Amazons? And the answer to that is so clearly no. Uh, and so as a result, the fact that you can have a talented team of entrepreneurs and software developers and, and, and you know, people build a, a company and maybe ramp up to, you know, uh, $10 million, $100 million of revenue in pretty short order. Again, that just really wasn't possible 10 or 20 years ago because the market sizes weren't there. Uh, and I think that's why you're seeing the, the enthusiasm for seed funding that still exists. I think the returns show that it's not mistaken. So very smart people have argued for a long time that there are no more big ideas in physical hardware, that all the big inventions have already been taken. And then on the internet, Peter Thiel, I think as far back as like six or seven years ago, was, was sort of arguing that there were no big ideas left on the internet. And, and uh, I mean, I guess is, you guys would be one thing that proves him wrong on that. But, but you're absolutely convinced that there's plenty of, yeah, Pe of... Peter Thiel has repeatedly made that argument uh, of the you know, sort of declinism argument that uh, founders found controversially. Um, uh, makes, and then uh, Founders Fund, his venture capital firm, is an extraordinarily successful <laughs> consumer internet investing vehicle. And so I'm not sure what to, what to make of that. Well, he used to be anti-China, and now he's pro-China as well. So you can, you can change your mind. Right. Um, I don't mean this next question to sound as cheap as, as, oh as, as it is, but um, just knowing you and your brother, I mean, so Tiger Global has put a lot of money into Juul as well. Mm -hmm. When you're thinking about taking money from mm -hmm. someone, especially in light of some of like the SoftBank stuff in, in Saudi Arabia and things, I mean, did you think about that at all? Or you were just happy to get hundreds of millions of dollars? Um, sorry, did we think about Juul specifically? Well, the, the Tiger, you know, Juul's a fairly controversial company, yeah. um, especially kind of given what's going on with smoking um, uh, among young people. And yeah, so I was just curious if that gave you, you could take money from just about anyone. Um, oh, I mean, the short answer is we absolutely do uh, think about who is investing in Stripe. And, and again, given that we're building the company uh, for the long term, uh, who, who the right shareholders are, and you know we have a, a large contingent of employee shareholders, but then kind of in terms of outside shareholders who we want to be uh, partnering with for that. Um, with, uh, I, I actually find the, um, the dual debate in particular an interesting one, and I haven't quite made up my mind on it. Like, I'm, I'm still trying to reason through it, because it seems like there's, um, uh, you know, some amount of replacement of kind of smoking with non-smoking, which is a very positive health benefit. Uh, there's some amount of increase in uh, 
teen vaping, which it seems fairly clear is a negative health effect. Uh, but I don't, I haven't seen maybe um, uh, uh, people people have done this research. What kind of the relative effects of, of those are, and if you make you know good faith efforts to prevent uh, uh, teens from actually using the product, uh, kind of how much credit you get for that. So I, I was actually I was having this discussion with some folks recently. I was trying to puzzle through what I what I think of Jewel. So but, so that didn't like really factor in the. Any of your decision making, though, on the, the funding or anything like that? Uh, I mean, we definitely thought about it. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, there's one thing as a writer that you guys do that I find fascinating, which is is, right. <laughs> is that you have you actually have a book publishing arm. Um, you have a I think a quarterly magazine mm -hmm. that and and you bought a, a, a site called Indie Hackers. Both of which um, tell stories about about startups, about how to run a business well, um, sort of lessons. You know, why does Stripe have? And I, th I think you also have some surprises that are coming up that I know about. That's, that's even more media. Um, so you know, why why does Stripe have a publishing arm? Is this, is this just because I know you and your brother are avid readers and you're into this stuff, or is this this something else going on, a, a longer term play with this? Um, I think there's a um, <laughs> there's a cynical view of uh, Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley companies that some people hold that uh, companies tend to be uh, you know very mission oriented in how they at least talk about themselves and kind of conduct themselves, but maybe kind of secretly they're, they're just in it for a buck and, and you know, they're trying to come up with the, the best branding uh, possible. Uh, and at least in Stripe's case, again, you, know, you and I have had many conversations um, for this, uh, about this over the years. Uh, we really are excited, which is, I mean, uh, um, perhaps odd given it's a, a bit of an abstract notion, but we are excited about this notion of growing the online economy and uh, kind of pushing forward technological and economic progress through the, the tools and services that uh, Stripe can create. Uh, and again, I, um, I, I very personally um, uh, feel this where, you know, the, the place I grew up in was in pretty rural Ireland, uh, and I just feel like I would not have had the set of possibilities and opportunities that I did without um, without just being able to kind of bop around on the internet and discover all this fascinating stuff and eventually start a company and things like that. Um, and so, given that we take this uh, mission really seriously, uh, one of the things we, we haven't done is just narrowly stick to, okay, Stripe makes this core Stripe payments product, so we're just going to do that and we're going to keep ourselves um, uh, you know, blinkered when it comes to anything else we might do. There are many ways you could potentially go, go about growing the online economy. One thing that we noticed, the inspiration for Increment, the engineering magazine you're talking about, is we noticed that um, Silicon Valley engineering best practices tend to be these you know, closely guarded trade secrets, that there'll be things that Google has figured out and Netflix has figured out, uh, and they're actually kind of open secrets within a handful of engineering companies, but then if you're starting a company from scratch today, you might not have access to that knowledge or know the best way to, to uh, to uh, you know, operationalize a distributed database or you know whatever it is, and so our our thought with Increment was we can at least just do a better job of propagating this engineering knowledge into the wider ecosystem, such that more people have access to it. Same with Stripe Press, our book publishing arm. Uh, the, the the tagline is Ideas for Progress, where if we can, if one incremental 
person is inspired to get into technology or to start a company, then we have, again, meaningfully uh, helped achieve that mission. It's you know, not in a way we can directly monetize. That's absolutely fine. But you're taking all these different uh, cuts on working on um, achieving the mission. And as you say, we've kind of more stuff in the works. We're always trying to generate these new ideas. And part of it is you know, we will test and learn with these approaches where we'll, uh, and you know, the, the test cycles have to be a bit longer. It's not, you, know, you can't run an A-B test and see the results the next day. You have to do book pu publishing for a while at some scale and, and try and reason about the impact. And so I think it'll be a number of years before we can have any kind of an intelligent hypothesis on, on how it's performed. Um, but we're, uh, I mean, I'm open to any other crazy ideas that you have for uh, <laughs> I, I have ways we could go about accomplishing <laughs> the mission. Uh, well, so, you know, just like you just said, you guys are so pro-startup, you're so pro-internet. We're in this moment where clearly the outside world is questioning Silicon Valley in a, in a pretty big way and, and everything that, that comes out of this place. What's your take on this moment of reckoning for the Valley to, in the, the mainstream world? Um, well, first off, I think it's not unexpected in that uh, many of the tech companies have become uh, large enough and uh, kind of all-encompassing enough in certain domains uh, that of, of I mean, of, of course, you're going to see this in uh, in some regard. And one thing that's somewhat interesting is that you know companies that tend to uh, get big in uh, other domains tend to be regulated as they grow. And so, you know, you, uh, you know, uh, if you're a bank, you know, you grow as a small bank and maybe you're regulated at the state level and then, you know, after a while you're regulated, uh, you, you have a federal charter and so you have these various regulators. You're interacting with government kind of all along the way. Same way, you know, if you work in, uh, you know, if you're an oil company, you know, there'll be all sorts of regulators that you're dealing with. In the case of um, Silicon Valley companies, it tends to, you know, be more of a step function where, you know, there's a long period during which they're kind of self-governed uh, and then at a certain point, it's like, okay, no, we actually have to think about, I mean, it's pretty clear that the 2016 elec elections were a, a, you know, a, a point of, not just where the kind of the, the public discourse turned, but clearly where the Silicon Valley, a uh, number of the Silicon Valley content companies started introspecting quite a bit differently versus um, how they had before. But the other thing I think that people forget is that, um, I think people equate the software industry with uh, Silicon Valley, and uh, you know the the hip name brand companies um, tend to be based here. But I think it's also important to remember that you know we are excited about this arc of technological progress, and you know how, how much more of the economy is moving onto the internet and the opportunities that creates, uh, and just how many of the successful software companies are being built outside of the. Um, outside of Silicon Valley. And so, um, you know, has anyone here heard of Constellation Software? Oh. There's like oh. one hand in the room. Yeah, Constellation Software is an extraordinarily successful software company. They're based in, they're like a $21 billion company. They're based in uh, Toronto, uh, uh, Canada. Uh, but they're just fairly quiet about what they do. They have their conglomerate with kind of all manner of different kinds of businesses. Tyler Technologies in Plano, Texas is another one. You know, there's uh, a huge amount of the, the software boom that is happening and kind of the uh, opportunities that entrepreneurs are creating are happening in sort of a low-key way outside Silicon Valley and outside the U.S. in a lot of cases. Yeah, the, uh, I'm just keeping an eye on time, and I wanted to try something a little bit different because I, I know 
you're like a student of business. You read so many books about all these companies' ups and downs over the decades. You, now that you have some, some hindsight on running Stripe, I mean, give me like two or three examples of stuff you wish you had done differently, mistakes mm -hmm. that you made. Like, like for people in the audience, something, um, if you're on this crazy journey, you know, are there any, what are these two or three key lessons that you see experienced? Oh, it's it's so hard to give generalized business yeah. advice or lessons. I mean, it's so it's so dependent on. Um, but even like if there's an anecdote that just applies to you guys, but sort of something you wish you had you had done a different way. Um, we always paid a huge amount of attention to hiring and uh, both at kind of the individual level and then over a while, you know, after a while the organization gets big enough and you have to start thinking about hiring at the, uh, at the, 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 the leadership level and kind of the various people who are running the, um, the organizations. And, um, and the reason it's so important is because, uh, <clears throat> well, one, I think many founders tend to go through a transition of thinking about the, the tasks and the problems at hand, where, uh, you know, it's, you know, I want to accomplish this business goal or we need to add these functions to the product, to thinking about things organizationally, where it's, you know, what are the people uh, or who are the people uh, that I need to bring along with me to actually accomplish what I'm looking to do, but kind of moving from thinking about tasks to thinking about things in, uh, in people terms. But, uh, and also for, from a cultural point of view, you are not just, especially in the early stages of a company, you're not just hiring that person, you're hiring their effect on the culture and the norms they will create within the company and uh, the people they will hire. You know, many of our most impactful kind of early hires, what they did was they brought along uh, a whole number of other stripes with them. So. I think we paid a lot of attention to that. I think even still, if I'm to look back over kind of the history of Stripe, we could have paid uh, more attention uh, uh, to matters of people. And in particular, when you have the wrong person in a role, it's really, one, it's just like really hard and kind of painful to solve that because it's never going to be quite the top priority on your, on your list despite the, the compounding long-term impact. Um, and I think it's, um, you're also not, qualified almost to judge because you're a little bit too close to it. And so we as a Stripe leadership team, uh, you know, try to hold each other accountable where, you know, you're always asking, is this working? And, you know, is this person um, uh, kind of do, doing their job right? Um, because wh when you're super close to it, it can actually, your, your judgment is colored and it can be hard to, to be a good judge of that. And so when I see, you know, when I talk to other founders and I see businesses not living up to their potential, I think they are arguably it is arguably because they are compromising on people or not having the hard conversations with others or with themselves that they need to be having. Again, that's a little bit generalized, but um, that's, that's certainly one. What's Elon's motto? If somebody should be fired, fire them. The sooner the better, I think, is the... <laughs> it, 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 it's certainly true that people never, after, um, after get, you know, firing someone, they said, hmm, I, did, I think I did that too soon. Uh, that, that is never the case. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you all for showing up. Thank yeah. you, John, thank for you, your time. And uh, if you guys appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to 
to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.